We are Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing <laughs> episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep, Negan. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about the Walking Dead World Beyond's third episode called The Tiger and the Lamb. Very prescient title, both throughout characters, themes, here, there, everywhere. It's all over the place. And I'm your host, David Cameo. And I'm joined by Cosmo Mom 9 Rachel Burt. Charity seems to be in the I... chat. She's number one. Number one. Right. <laughs> number one. I'm just reading what she said. You know, it's up to you to decide. It's up to the populace to decide if she's number one. Vote now. Number two. Vote now. <laughs> there's no voting thing. You, there's no democracy, <laughs> as we'll soon find out. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Charity's saying, I, I'm at number one at messing up your sound. <laughs> True, you are the reigning title holder on that. <laughs> but we're not going to hold it against you. Um, My impressions of this episode. Well, it was very Silas-centered without sort of being heavy on that. So I, I liked that, you know. Um, I was glad to find out more about Silas. And I don't know. I was really worried for Hope there for a while. But yep. she pulled through, so... I mean, it was it was a great episode. I think every episode I watch is just getting better and better and better. Yeah, a lot of world building on top of itself. Oh yeah. Well, so now the oh, yeah. the question that we have to ask now, now that we know that Hope did actually go to the tornado warning siren facility, right? Yep. Now, how does that change your mind about Hope? Like she didn't go off and fuck off. <laughs> she she went to right. to save her friends. <laughs> Do you do you think a um has your mind changed about the psychopathic tendencies now that you've seen the whole episode? Um because of the end or first of all because of the end but also because of the things that she does. Um I don't know. Yes and no. I still I still want to know why she's holding on to the marble. I to me that's still weird. She has a moment right near the like right when they're about to leave. Yep. And it's a very cool moment, too, not only just because of what she does, possibly, maybe not cool, <laughs> but also just like the, the walker hand that we, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of based the, the thumbnail art off of that, by the way, that Zora Aesthetics designed for oh. us, want to remind people again, but yeah, that's what I based the hand off of, obviously not exactly, but just the idea of it, because that's the that thing that saw that stuck in my mind. Yes, that it was so perfect. Like, like every image you have of a zombie hand, like it was perfect. And ever like, just like, uh, and there was like shit dripping from it. Right. And like, it was just perfect. It was like the iconic zombie arm, you know, yeah. I've, I've drawn, I have drawn that image a hundred times in a hundred notebooks. You know what I mean? Oh my God. <laughs> I've, I've designed, I've tried to design t-shirts with that logo with the mic, with it holding the mic, that kind of thing with the, oh. with the flesh kind of coming off the fingernails kind of thing. And then having exposed yeah. bone and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost iconic, but and yet we've never really seen it on the show. There is a bone, right? there's a bone to pick with that, obviously, because is it, <laughs> is the walker deep in the mire? Is there a head right. attached to that arm, right? There's is it that deep? Be. Right, yeah, exactly. But there isn't, yeah. and yet it makes you kind of think like, oh, what did she just walk through easily that every all these walkers couldn't? But let's not, let's, I'm okay. 
I'm okay. Are you okay? Well, well, I, <laughs> I mean, you? I definitely, I definitely saw her take, um, you know, a concrete path through it. Yeah. You know, the walkers aren't going to be mindful enough to make sure they stay on solid ground. Right. I, I definitely saw her following a solid path. So yeah. I don't think she went. Did you see her go through any of the muck? It didn't seem like she did. Yeah. It seems like there it, seemed no. like there was a line of of solid ground, terra firma, yeah. as it were. Right. Even even later when we see her, you know, her pant legs are still dry. There's nothing on, on her shoes or anything. So but the thing that we are talking about is when she's through, everything is fine. Maybe it's because she doesn't want them to follow. Maybe she maybe it's something else. But you describe the scene like of what I'm this is the only thing that's making um, us hold back. Oh, OK. All right. I actually put this down in my notebook as the first official Walker kill on on the show too oh. I, I her setting them on fire i counted that as as the first official kill i don't know if you did i didn't because i saw her stab that walker that was on iris right right but she sets the fire before that so i'm Does like she? All right. oh maybe i'm wrong okay then fine yeah okay just yep just before she comes through and sees uh Iris. Okay. She sets the oil on, on fire and everything. And I thought, all right, that to me, that to me is a, a, a confirmed kill. You know, she's really trying to kill him. Um, I, and, and I think it was mostly to try and, you know, probably slow him down or, or, or kill him. You know what I mean? Right. So that they didn't follow her or eventually catch up with um, who she's trying to meet. Right. Know? Right. Right. Yeah. I was thinking like that. See, that just reminded me a little bit, like even the way it was framed cinematically, was like there's almost like okay this is my first not my first obviously it's not my first comparison to the poem the tiger and the lamb by william mm -hmm. blake and, mm -hmm. and but like the idea of you know what fierceness the the idea of the tiger being this fierce thing and and actually it was like the one thing that made me pause I'm like wait who are we talking about now who is the tiger in this in this scenario <laughs> because all this time let's just say it out out front so that we can come back to it all this time, we, you know, clearly and presently, the tiger is, is referred to as Silas, but also the lamb. You know, they don't go through the poem of the lamb, but they go through the tiger predominantly. Obviously, the poem mm -hmm. that we find that Silas picks up in the past from Iris that she drops in Leo Bennett's office just after he left for CR. Um, that's the, it's the doodle of the tiger and the poem and the little lamb at the bottom, but it's just the poem of the tiger, not the lamb, the, the, the little post- you know, right. Last right. few per phrases are missing of the limb, which obviously we want to focus predominantly on the tiger part, because this is the one that's that's that Silas is struggling with. But going back to hope, I, I, this was like at the end. And I'm like, oh, wait, oh, shoot. Are we talking about Iris now? Because now I'm wondering, I'm wondering if this sure. is the tiger, right? We could be talking about both. But at the same time, it was nice, a nice little surprise. You see the flames in her eyes, you know, as she lights it on fire. Love that little touch. Um, yeah. but it did remind me of Carol a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not people. At least it wasn't humans. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the same time, there's that little firebug. There's the desire in her face as a kid to desire, at least to shoot the woman, the pregnant woman who it turns out to be Elton's mother. Um, I think it surprised her. And I think maybe in more ways than one, <laughs> who knows at the same time, I, by the end we do see, she is pretty remorseful. She does acknowledge which is cool. Let's bring that factoid up that one of the things that I said was uh, in the first episode was I think it, she didn't remember that there was an explosion behind her and the gun went off. And mm -hmm. I think here 
I'm glad that we can root this out right away because it's, it could get complicated later. But she acknowledges that the gun did kind of go off. Yeah. Not because of the explosion, maybe not, but she was picking it up and it went off. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah she does use the phrase, it went off. And so, I mean, she also says, I killed her, but yeah, she... Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. I'm like, all right, she's totally aware that it's, I mean, she still blames herself 100%, but it's, she's acknowledging that it really wasn't all her fault. Right, right. And, and that, and this is why I asked the question out front, because, and, and I do not want to steer you from the, from this path. I'm just, I'm steel manning you, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine steel manning you, where I'm affirming your position or I am maybe wearing away at it. Either way. Not interested in convincing you otherwise, but I want to. I want to make sure that maybe are you have you has you changed on the psychopathic tendencies? Have you you know? No, I don't. I don't still think that I kernel, have. Right? I mean, I, yeah, no, I don't think I've changed my opinion on her psychopathic tendencies. However, I am seeing a little bit more, you know, humanity. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of contradicts itself, but still this spot that i saw Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where i saw her little her little psycho come out Mm -hmm. was was when she was about to rescue iris from that walker and right before she flicks flips the the does the thing she smiles oh really oh i must have missed that i'm too busy darting back and forth quickly between my notes yeah like for a second she smiles like she's giddy about about being able to do that. Now, I don't know if she's excited to kill the walker or save her sister or just finally do something. I don't know. I don't know. But she definitely has a smile on her face. And I don't know if it's, you know, excited about killing the walker or getting killing to save in her sister. <laughs> right. Or killing in general. Like, I, but she's definitely smiling. I, she has a smile on her face. Now, in the next shot, she's actually doing the stabbing and she has more of a cringe smile, right? Like, you know, the, like, yeah, like a pained when, sort yeah. of thing. So if you, if you look close, there is a difference. Like you see a, her like, and then, so mm. yeah, I definitely saw that. And I was like, Ooh, there's yeah. my little psycho. <laughs> I remember the same similar moment to like Tara. Like, this is going back to the walking dead Tara. When they visit the satellite station and, I forget what it was like when they capture the the satellite stragglers when they go back with um, Morgan and whatever they captured Jared and all them. I remember this moment where she did something of like a similar thing in the shot, but I I had to relegate it to something like more of like maybe she broke character, nobody caught it, that sort of thing. Okay. And I'm I'm wondering if this is Alexa Mansour also. Like no, I'm not disregarding what you're saying. But I'm yeah. wondering if Alexa Mensur is going, you get to give them the <laughs> Well, they could have chose to keep it in too. You know what I mean? Maybe they saw it and they're like, all right, we're going to use this. We like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. But, because I was even smiling too. Because when you see mm-hmm. it, there is that element of I can read your mind, lift the walker up so I can stab it in the head without stabbing you in the head. You know, that sort right. of thing. Like, yep. So you see Iris raise the bar and you know, yep. so that she doesn't get hurt, and then yeah, and that happens. And well, I feel like, I feel like maybe there was like an opportunity for like symbiosis. Well, I like that that it's the two walkers who are stuck together too, right? Right, like, the twinsies walkers, ironic, yeah, Siamese sort of twins ironic. walkers, the sister. You know, Iris 
saves Hope, and then Hope saves Iris, and yeah. It was and the just walkers are sit like like joined poetic. at the like melted at the at the chest yeah. or whatever it is. Did, did you see the like the piece of tire melted on his head too? Yeah, was, I, you could like see the tread. It was so cool. And and what was the company the 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 the, the tire retread. company retread retread? <laughs> Most of the walkers had are like burnt tire that must have fallen from stacks on their heads. It's amazing. Uh -huh. It's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so good. Yeah. By the end, she finally breaks to her sister, much in the way Iris broke to her about what happened that night, needing to get it off her chest, things that have made her not be able to sleep, etc. Hope does Hope does the same thing. And I don't know if you noticed, but just as she's about to tell her, she was, she's about to fondle the bead again that she hasn't been. She stops and she puts her yep. hand down. I like that little touch. There's like that little... Yeah. Like, wait, I'm going to, no, I can't. This is what right. I normally do to myself, but no, I have to talk to, I have to talk to Iris now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It was little... like what you, it, it was like what you had said last time. Like she really doesn't let anybody else see it. Like, right. Cause, cause I said, I had mentioned why hasn't Elton noticed, but you said she keep kind of keeps it hidden. And this, this like totally proved that. Yeah. Like she yeah. won't even bring it out in front of her sister. It's the secret that's just waiting to be let out and it just can't hide anymore. And, and. You know, and, and as you even see it under her shirt, it's protruding. It's it's yeah. you can it's coming out. Right. The imagery of her of it protruding evokes the idea that it's just begging to be told. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I'm I'm absolutely sure someone's going to catch a a glimpse of it, and she's going to have to explain herself. Sharon D saying that the spoiler was that three hours on the retread sign are like the three circles of the CRM, the retread uh, company. Yeah. Oh, okay. This I didn't even see the three arrows. On the sign? Alexa Mansour went onto an Instagram Live and revealed a spoiler about Hope and Iris. But mm -hmm. what's interesting about her comment, Sharon D's comment about the retread sign, is that the, retreads, the retread co corporate logo has the three arrows, right? But also the arrows on Elizabeth Kublik's map that she's surveying, for some reason, has the three arrows. Now, could this be the very bog that she's monitoring? Like, somehow she's monitoring these people possibly right she's mm -hmm. monitoring their progress maybe how is she monitoring her pro their progress we don't know but it's very mm -hmm. possible it's very possible this could tie in something i don't know what the spoiler is that alexa mansoor mentioned but let's leave that be for now finally she she tells her the story she tells her the whole thing we kind of went through it already um and also i don't know about you but i feel like two things are going on when iris reacts to her story finally I think there may be three. I think A, she's a relieved because this is something she's wanted to know for a very long time. She feels partially responsible for her, her mother's death. B, so there's a relief there. Like she isn't directly responsible. It's not her fault. It was out of her hands. Now she's realizing how out of her hands it was, right? Right, right. Two, <laughs> there's also another thing going on where, okay, well, I'm going to get through the easy stuff and then I'm going to get through the tough stuff. Two, <laughs> oh my God. My shit does not compare to her shit, what she's gone through. <laughs> this, mm. this is the easy stuff. Okay. You know, the secret that she had going on inside pales in comparison to mine. Who's the brave one, right? Yeah. But, but there's a three, and this is the harder one. And this, I think you and me may be on the same page, because I sort of see it in your blurry face. <laughs> 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 that it is very possible that there is a kernel of resentment. Because you see her have this far off stare. Oh yeah. Like I yeah. don't I don't know what this means. Like the first thing she says was 
the, the exact thing is, I just didn't want what happened to change you. That was the first thing she said. And then she says, I didn't want to change the way you saw me, I... right? How you saw me, right? And then is, is it okay though? She says, it's okay. And as Iris is long stare, says, we cut, we, we will get through this. We kind of have to, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I wonder, I really, really do wonder, right? Like, is this something that's going to come back and haunt their relationship? Because right now, from what I'm seeing, there's this weird funnel going on where at the beginning of the series, you see them both being polar opposites, complementing each other, surely, right? Light and dark, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like little yin and yang, right? The thing that we've been bringing up. But as this episode kind of comes together, you see them actually mirror each other. They're they're in sync. There's a little, there's a lot more balance. They both unburdened. They both can be closer to who they are. Um, Hope is the one leaving the breadcrumbs. Felix is noticing this and just cannot wrap his head around this. Iris, I thought you were the one leaving the breadcrumbs. That seems to be more you. <laughs> Hope is leaving the breadcrumbs and she's she's risking her neck to help you out. What is going on here? This is the mirror universe. I didn't think it was that crazy out here. Anyway, the point being is that they're more in balance. They're kind of in sync. They're unburdened. Now they're, they can be more themselves. Hope is acting like Iris. Iris is acting like Hope. You know, acting out, not telling Felix what's going on, you know, with the trust circle there. <laughs> like He's like, eh, it's not my plan. I don't like it, but I'm not going to do-do-do. Boop-do-do-do-do, right? <laughs> anyway. Oh, and, and, and Sharon D's mentioning, Iris thought she was the tiger. Now she knows she's the lamb. And what generally happens to lambs? Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. This is going to keep coming back up. Let's go through Silas for a little bit. Because, I mean, right from, right off the top of the bat, we, I mean, what were your impressions of like that first scene where you see him, his hand shaking, covered, you know, caked in blood a little bit, like hearing his grandma and grandpa on the, on the, on the, that, like listening to the episode the second yeah. time around, there's this sweetness and there's also this kind of like the, the contrast of the lamb versus the tiger, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I definitely, I thought a lot of things about Silas. I was really excited to, to find out a little bit more about him. And I do mean a very little bit because we still don't know the full picture of, right. of what's going on. Um, but that the tape of his grandparents, I, I don't know about you, but I, it an definitely happened. <laughs> Yeah, probably. An, I mean, it could be an answering machine or they could have just, uh, you know, recorded it for him knowing he was going away. I, yeah. Well, remember, it, he me, was it six. Like he, it said he was six years old in that cassette. So this was oh. from when, when he was very young. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. In okay. Fact, I, I don't in know fact, how I missed that twice. So, in fact, in the beginning, it says it's, it's basically a birthday message. Could be. Oh, okay. a, a, I'm betting it's an answering machine because it sounds like okay. it was like beep. It's like, uh, so it was a happy birthday from Pappy and Grammy. We love you very much and miss you tons. You're, you know, congratulations on being six years old. You know, you're, you're special. Oh sweet, my gosh. Sweetly thoughtful. <laughs> How did I miss it twice? I, yeah, missed yeah. That, I missed that twice. But okay, it, well, so I couldn't what I blame you though. Totally, I couldn't blame you. Yeah. Because... What I thought was totally out the window then. But what the, the point I was going to make is how they talk about, um, uh, actually the, the last passage we hear from the grandparents his grandfather talking about how we went to church and he heard this sermon about you know god loves everybody even with people people with issues and i mean the fact that they were saying this to him at six like okay i thought this tape came from right after he killed his dad like that's that's when i thought they made this tape but it was from when he was six so now we know poor silas has had issues for a long time they've been bullied for a long long time 
whatever the oh issue is. Oh my God, is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying honestly, not to get visually emotional right now. Honestly, I, I can't even, I'm not even gonna make a prediction about what I think happened. I mean, I, I do kind of have a theory, I, but I'm not gonna necessarily say it was bullying or abuse or any of that. Right, right, it's hard because you get the image, it's like the sleight of hand thing, right? You're getting imageries of him being harassed you know, being talked about him but behind his back. But that was all afterwards, after he did what he did. Yeah, I mean, because the, the thing that I noticed about some of those scenes are they are from NSU, again, so that's yes. uh, Nebraska State University, which means that's the co uh, campus colony, um, all the things right. that we, we know of. And then there's the few flashes, which I can't assume are from before or after, but the ambulance must have been definitely from before. I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, he still had blood on his hands, so that was probably immediately after the uh, accident. Accident, right. whatever, right. whatever had the incident. Um, Whether that was Omaha, was or, right at the time, right? But that's the thing we don't. Again, it could be out of sequence. This could be like a recent incident because the thing, the thing, yeah. Because the weird thing is, remember when his tape was stopping? Again, we're talking about campus colony. He's walking through the halls. Mm -hmm. He's the, he's the facilities manager also mm -hmm. from the plant. I forget what it's called. The plant uh, physical plant. Uh, so I was, plant, yeah. like, I don't know why they call it that too. Like it's literally facilities management, janitorial, you know, whatever. <laughs> that sounds nicer. <laughs> tape starts to go out. Sharon's mentioning that the song playing on the tape is called F'd, F'd Up, up. <laughs> by Queen of Hearts. Um, and it gives out and he can actually hear them. This is why he uses it because he doesn't want to hear everybody talking about okay. him behind his back. And I don't know what happens in that instance, but he definitely does get perturbed by this and mm -hmm. he, he lashes out. He remembers and he lashes out when uh, when uh, Iris is confronting him, being afraid of me, you know, and right, right. He's afraid of what he can do, which is why, you know, I suspect more. Maybe he yeah, he, he sort of snapped. Yeah. Yeah. And so couldn't, it, couldn't could it have been control? Right. Could it have been in Campus Colony as well? I don't know. And I don't think so. I don't think so, because they were talking in the very in the very first episode. We hear those girls say, did you hear what he did in Omaha? Right. If he right. had done something at Campus Colony, that would be the the newer, juicier gossip. They'd be yeah. talking about that. Right. Right. And and it's, I still wonder because because you know Huck does sort of give it to him as though he is kind of a monster. She also came from the city. Yes. I wonder if she does know what happened. Yeah. There are people that out there that basically say uh, that Huck may may have gotten her scar from him. I don't think Ooh. so. I don't think so. It's a bit of a stretch. Um, I yeah, mean, I okay. wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I, I don't think so either. Right. And so, and Charity's going a thousand miles a minute because if you freeze frame the scene where he's beating the person, you can see it's a man. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wonder if House knows exactly what he did. Huck, I think she means. I love this. Yeah, I love his little yeah. outburst. It really tells. Yeah. So, but here's the thing: if you caught it, do you remember when Silas gets turned around? Yes. While they're, yeah. oh, while they're yeah. walking in the mist. Now, when the walker comes out, it flashes the walker, then it flashes to a male figure, almost, yep. you know, older than 60, let's say. Now, I, at I, I, I would just say dad, his dad age, like I, a I man say, old enough to be his dad. Yeah, perhaps older, maybe not, we'll see. But um, he imagines the walker wearing the same shirt. Well, yeah, exactly. And so um, what yes. I, I was going to say maybe that it was even his uncle, but... I don't think so because because Felix does mention that his uncle is worried sick and yeah. he says I I care about him too 
So I don't right, think it's right. his uncle or anything. I, I definitely don't think it's his uncle because his uncle looked like a shorter dude. And the guy in the fog was much taller, taller than Silas. But we often see our, our fathers, let's say, as taller than us, right? Yeah. But I mean, you if know, he was actually he, imagining this person, I, I don't think it was his uncle. It didn't. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. His, it didn't look like his shape or figure. Well, I, I, I thought it might, because we do get a really good look at his uncle, and his, his uncle's kind of towering a little bit over him. He's a little heavy set. It does match the bill, but I don't, again, I don't think it's him just simply because of the way he regards right. him. Because at that point, why lie, right? This would give yeah. him more of a reason to say, I can't go back because of him. You know, right, that's right. Because if he's not going to go back anyway, why keep that a secret? You know, not even, not the attack, but just, I don't want to go back to him. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. I have my reasons. but Exactly. I, I thought it was interesting that when he envisioned the walker as this man, he had no problem attacking it, taking it down. As soon as his vision, the reality came back and he saw that it was a walker, that's when he froze up. Yeah. Like, Ooh, well, yeah. Oh, and, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I can't kill you. Well, <laughs> like, what? But, and then further, to further the point, you know, because it does muck it up a little bit, it was when Hope taps him on the shoulder. Yeah. There's a bit of that, too. So it's like, okay, I can't kill... The walker, but I also don't want to kill Hope. It was like, <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's Bobby Boucher. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, <shit. Right>. okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So this is where the tiger and the lamb imagery does kind of take hold because a lot of the, a lot of what we're seeing is Silas is kind of holding back from killing things. First of all, anything because he's afraid of what will happen when he starts. Because when he's yeah. afraid. What it seems to be is that when he started wailing on whoever it was that he was wailing on, he just did not stop. And mm -hmm. you could see mm -hmm. him in one of his flashbacks, you could see the end of that attack, him basically just pushing the person down, crying, crying, angry tears, saying like, almost like, why did you make me do this? Meaning, but also the idea of the tiger. Because when I was analyzing the, the poetry of uh, William Blake in the imagery and trying to figure out what this means... A lot of what it deals with is, you know, what kind of creator would create something so, first of all, that would deign to create something that is so visually beautiful from afar, almost sensuous. But at the same time, when you get up close, the fierceness in the eyes, the, 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 what it must have taken to create such a fierce and fierce and fiery heart, right? Mm -hmm. What forge could have created this, you know, what kind of person that would take the star, the, the, the fire of stars and place it in the eyes of such a fierce animal. And, and you know, what does that say about us morally? What, what kind of creator would create that kind of evil? The kind of evil that is beautiful, almost aesthetically beautiful and up close, fierce and terrifying. Right. And this is something that Cyrus wrestles with directly. He wrestles with it directly. Like I am afraid of being this thing. You know, I, I, who would build me at every turn? He's afraid of succumbing to what he thinks I don't think this is the case, but what he thinks is his nature. You know, I did this, so it, I must be. The, and you know what? We see parallels to hope. Yeah. Hope he he thinks, says, I'm supposed to be out here. You know, he right. Even said, right, right. Exactly. This is probably where I'm meant to be, you know? And, and <laughs> so, but the thing that I, the parallel that I draw to hope is, first of all, it's, it's ironic that hope, that I, Silas basically seems to, and he's the one that tells Felix why he thinks she thinks she'd be, she should be out there. He doesn't know anything, but he's projecting. And he says yeah. out loud, you know, the things that, you know, things, first of all, he mentions the quote, the things in the past shouldn't have to follow us, but oh. he's projecting and he's saying, and, you know, he's being asked, you know, what do you think Hope did that would make her do this? Like maybe she did something bad 
that is following her. And rightly so, because when we look at Hope and look at what she's done, it has hamstrung her. She does not feel like she deserves anything more than she gets. She doesn't feel like she deserves love. Let's just put it that way. I'm just to simplify. Yeah. And you see these two characters like do not want, not wanting to succumb to the nature. One fondling a bead, constantly reminding herself what she's capable of. Let's just, you know, your theory aside, obviously, because it does, it interferes with mine. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, <laughs> but and then you have Silas constantly gritting his 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 hands, con and every now and again checking to see if they're shaking. That sort of yeah. thing. You do kind of get oh, a, get a glimpse of that. He's constantly thinking back to the, his the one moment where he let go, and she's thinking about that one moment where she let herself do this thing, and wonders it, mm. if for one second I don't freeze or don't watch myself, am I capable of doing this again? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. They feel like they have to be on guard of themselves all the time. Yeah, mistakes. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what kills me is always when we go back to those tapes, like when he's listening to his tapes of his grandparents and then, oh my mm -hmm. God, they have to sock us with an Isaiah quote, you know, that, <laughs> right. that, that I just earlier, I'm, I was trying not to get emotional just cause it was, oh. it was really emotional. Like, yeah. like you could see the grandfather really sympathizing with, with his grandson going, you know, I love you so much. You know, I don't want you to get caught up in what you think you are because God says he god's never going to give up on you and i'm not going to give up on you either and then that fucking last quote from his grammy <laughs> it's like saying and i'll just say it out loud just because i don't want to go back to it because i don't want to start crying again but like she <laughs> says she says you know you know life ain't easy kiddo but it's good we can make it good you know and I'm, it's just like fuck man you're killing me God, man. And that's the lamb. I mean, we're dealing also now with the lamb because you obviously see Silas. Silas is timid. You know, his outwardly nature is timid, even though he looks like a fierce tiger. His outwardly nature to all these people is, I should have killed it. It should have been me. You know, I'm so sorry. I'll backtrack. It doesn't matter. I can't go back, <laughs> but, but I can't. <laughs> but uh, no, don't, don't make me come back. I'll start ripping your face off. But no, but uh, but. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to kill anything. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. That sort of thing. It's just so interesting and also awesome to kind of witness the, the level of acting. Now, look, I'm not saying that he's acting the part. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sold on the awkwardness. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot for one person to have to act out. Yeah. His accent's really good. Oh no, it's not. It breaks. <laughs> it breaks oh, think, so easily. I think he's doing really well. I think yeah. he's I think he's doing really well with the accent. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, mean, I hear I hear I hear it every now and then, but yeah. I'll I'll allow it. I think he's doing well. <laughs> yeah, no. I I think he's playing I think he's playing the part. I think he's playing the part of somebody who's just tortured himself for a long time, like Hope. Yeah. You know what uh Eric said he actually reminds him of um I don't remember what it was uh Mike Myers. When he's in the asylum, I don't remember which movie it is, which one of the movies it is, but he's like in an asylum and they're walking down a corridor and he's got the long hair and he's just, just a, you know, big, big guy. Yeah. He said Silas reminds him of Mike Myers. I think, I think that's the most recent one, H, not H2O. Um, the most recent one that came out that, which features him in the asylum. Okay. Probably. I haven't seen yeah. them. With an elder like Jamie Lee one, Curtis. That's like the one scary movie I can't watch. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, because it's just so unnatural. Like, there's something about something that comes at you and doesn't get phased. Um, well, no, it's not even that. Like, uh, when I was, 
I don't know, 14, 15 years old, my friend Melissa, who I talk about all the time, was staying the night over at my dad's house, and we decided to watch that movie one night. And oh my dad, before the end of the movie, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, you know where this is. No. Put on, put, on the mask, put on the mask, put on his black bathrobe, and just stood in the doorway of the room that we were watching the movie in, and just stood there. Waited. We shut the movie off, rewound it, just sitting there, hanging out, and just <laughs> waited for us to notice him. And that, and that was it. Like he didn't even like come after us. That he was just standing there, and that was terrifying enough. Like I, you, you look back. Tell me, you yelled out. It was just a, like oh, <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh no, we screamed. I think we screamed and grabbed each other. Yeah, no, God it was terrifying. It. And to this day, like Mike Myers is like the only Michael Myers is the only like horror thing that that still scares me. <laughs> oh my god. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Bad parenting. That was my, no, that just was my dad, though. That was, no, that was, that was my dad. No. My, both I, my parents really messed me up. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I got yeah. plenty of scare the shit out of me stories. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, it's just occurring to me now because of the story that you just regaled us with. Okay, we have Iris's childhood trauma and how that affected her, how it made her think of the future all the way through, not for herself. And you have Silas's tale, which always makes him hold back, always represses himself, always not reaching out. You have Hope, who deals with this not feeling like she could ever get the love also by acting out and doing this and doing that. Uh, you know, Hope stuff. And, <laughs> and Felix, though, again, I want to go back to him. Felix, in whatever way, feels like he can never be great. Even though you're watching him throughout this yeah. episode being awesome. So awesome <laughs> and yet and yet look at him he's like i told you today i keep you safe burr, burr, burr. <laughs> we'll take you to arm her <laughs> arm her we'll take you home to campus community in two days <sighs> yeah yes exactly. and I, you know listen he's if, if very humble. he's too humble yeah he doesn't reach for the stars this is something i pointed out for yeah. the first episode he doesn't reach for the stars and it's like look Dude, you're of no use to anybody. They don't need you back home. They don't need you. Nobody's acting out. Everybody's all in sync. Felix, dude, you want to know how Will is doing just as much as you want to know how Leo Bennett's doing. Why wouldn't you? Maybe more. You've seen the messages. You've seen the messages. Mm-hmm. You know you're of no use going back there. Why? Why? Why default? Why retreat to safety? But this is it. This is what's happening. It's his childhood. He cannot escape the idea that he will never be great. I don't know about loved, but he will never be great. He'll be nothing. And so I'm, I'm loving watching each of these characters deal with whatever emotional trauma they're dealing with. I feel like almost though, and I, I want to go to this right now, Elton may be the biggest one of all though. I mean, what kind of guy doesn't know what haul ass means? <laughs> but what, what does, what, what, how did he grow up to not know that? I wonder. Yeah, how is he? Well, and at the time that that the sky fell, they were too young to have like used that phrase or heard it too much, right? Or True. remember it. So it would have been like a more recent phrase that Hope and Iris are used. Yeah. How does he not know what that means? Right. Like, growing up in this community. Well, I, maybe he's antisocial. Uh-huh. I'm not familiar with the terminology. <laughs> Right. You can't expect me to know. Can you just use words? <laughs> words. Very serious situation. I think we need to be very crisp and clear. And- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Come on. But I love the idea by the Sarah Beth Pollock actually commented on, a, a commented on this prior to the actual line 
which I will forgive because I added in the fact that like it comes back right after they're done talking. <laughs> he goes, oh, oh, I get it now. And, and you can hear Felix audibly go, oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. That was wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Like, and, and also, furthermore, affirms this little bit of kind of a Goonies vibe because you've got the kids, you've got Brandon, mm-hmm. the, yep. the, yep. the, uh, the older brother, basically, <laughs> trying to get them out of trouble. Oh. I don't know what the hell Huck is. Sloth? No, no, no. She's not. She's not Andy. Who's Andy's friend? No, no. I'm saying he. She's. She's sloth. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sloth love Huck. Maybe mouth <laughs> Which is mouth? Mouth is obviously hope. You know that. Always acting out. Come on now. Mikey is definitely Iris. Elton is oh, Data. Yeah. Okay. And uh, who else? Silas is. Silas is sloth. Silas is shoot. sloth. <laughs> I was gonna Silas is chunk, but only in the oh. fact, but only in the respect that he's just, just really awkward, bud. I, yeah, <laughs> I yeah she agrees with me. Yeah, unfortunately, uh-huh. I think Huck is sloth, <laughs> or or the Martha Plimpton character, whom I forget what what her name is. Not um, Andy's friend, or not Andy, but Andy's friend. Yeah, Andy's friend, right? The, yeah, the blonde, the blonde. I cannot think of her name. Her name was Steph. Steph. That's right, Steph. I had to look it up. It was driving me nuts. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay, so if they have to play a piano to get through something, I'm going to die, <laughs> Sharon D. Says. Okay. Um, although, I might not. I'd be like, squeeze! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to touch on the um, the idea of Tiger and the Lamb as it pertains to the universe, though, because there is an interesting play, and Sharon D even mentioned this earlier on, there's an interesting play on how brutal this world can be if somebody lets it. You know, if people let themselves become brutal, then you start to see this world can be fiery, fierce, wrought with evil. And yet, our survivors do tend to make that lamb analogy. Like, we, we try not to fall to our baser, fiercer instincts. But there's also the lamb of hope, the, of, of, of morality, of brightness. And so... I, I like this just on a greater universe kind of scale, the idea of the tiger and the lamb. Because we see that, I like, because when I, when I was analyzing this thing, I was thinking, like, immediately, not even thinking about the episode Silas or anything else, I was thinking, oh my god, this is the Walking Dead universe. I mean, and you could apply this to the universe as a whole, because that was the whole idea. The whole idea yeah. was how fierce yet beautiful, how attractive the darkness is, and yet how, you know, when you get up close, you see how terrifying it can be. And that's the Walking Dead in spades, but it's also the world at large, because as you see, even behind the walls of safety, when you can hear somebody whisper something so vile and say, I thought, I thought the walls were built to keep the monsters out. Again, getting emotional about Silas fi- overhearing that person in Campus Colony saying this out loud. It, you start to really understand hope. what Hope says, I think in the first episode, if I'm not mistaken, where she says, people suck. Yeah. yeah. People suck. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and this is something, you know, I, I brought this up. I don't remember when exactly. I think maybe it was episode 100. But the thing about my mom and just thinking about the idea of escaping a country just makes you not have to think about how about your personal problems. Then when you finally get to the, you know, a country where there's rights and freedoms and stuff like that. And you every each everybody's equal, you know, technically. But you now you have to deal with people with privilege and, and 
and pomp and circumstance and, and, and all that stuff. And, and everybody's personal baggage just piles up because there's no clear and present danger to have to run away from, to not have to think about that sort of thing. And that's a whole other level of suck. <laughs> and you know, how, how spoiled we are from her point of view because of it. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, it's not fair. You know, if I had to deal with something like this, I wouldn't, this, there's a purpose. There's this, there's something that has to come before all my needs now. And so, you know, it makes me think of that all the time. It makes me think about that a, a lot. So when I see that sort of scenario that Silas is in, I'm just so sympathetic. Yeah. Yep. I did. I did like the way he looked at that girl who made the comment, though. I really. I thought for a second he was gonna snap again. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. It's rough. I like our reaction to this, though. I do. I do. It, it says something. You know. It doesn't. Hurt. It doesn't really help you. Because his name is Silas. I know, right? Like, I, I extra sympathize with this character because I look at him as if, like, what if my son grew up to, you know, what if Silas, what if my Silas was like this? Not not a killer, but, you know, awkward, you know? Or just, or just being picked on, you know? I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, and I'm the kind of mom that would show up at school. <laughs> and then, but you have to wonder, like, where does, where do you end and Silas has to begin? Because at some point, as much as you want to intervene, intervene, like sometimes you just have to let it ride and, you know, well, ha be, have him become his own man at some point or else he's well, never going to rise of, above. Kind of getting to that point. I mean, he's 11 years old now. So if, if things were to start happening now, it would be more embarrassing for him if I stepped in and did anything about it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I'm, this is, I'm just trying to put myself in your headspace. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you don't even know because it's all there's a lot of things going on, right? There must be. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, it'd be similar. I'm just picking if, one, if, <laughs> right? It it would be similar if there were a character named Evelyn on on The Walking Dead. You know what oh, I mean? Fuck you would that. you would well you would re you would think more about that character, <laughs> yeah. naturally, right? Just yeah. because of the name. So yeah. so I do. I I have an extra soft spot for Silas. <laughs> yeah. I, I think mostly like the idea of, okay, I mean, I'm even thinking of my nephews and nieces right now. I'm just thinking like, if there's a sure. Madeline, I'm like, okay, now I have to wonder, when do I hold back? When do I intervene? When do I, mm -hmm. when do I step in? When do I not step in? And then I'm thinking to myself, just like you are, you're like, fuck that. Anybody gets in my way, I'm going to tear them apart. Yeah. <laughs> That's my yeah. little girl. Oh. <laughs> and Sharon D with the clutch. Mm, that doesn't work with Dennis, lol. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can have him. You can have her. Sharon, whatever. I hear she's called Blazy Gardner. You just go you just go get her, okay? Take her off my plate. Please. Oh my that the old take take my wife, won't you? Like right. take my take my wife for example. No, will you? <laughs> take my wife. Uh the bygone era, right? Is it is it bygone though? Mm. Anyway. Let's go back to that fight that uh where Iris steps in to try to save Hope. Because Hope, last thing you see before Hope kind of tumbles down is that she tries to kick the Siamese walkers and she falls down. Like, obviously, right? They're huge. Yeah. And, and then Iris steps in, pushes them, pushes them against a bunch of tires. And by God, did you, I don't know if you saw this, but the Triceratops horn worked. <laughs> yeah. And I like that she took the time to line it up. With the eye socket, it looked like. No, it was the palate. It, it was went the palate. In... She, she went up the mouth. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> no, but that's that. that's the thing. I think that's the only one of the only <laughs> two spots that would have worked. 
because it's all soft tissue and shit. She went back far enough, yeah. I just thought, I because I was just writing down how much I agreed with somebody that said, oh, this Triceratops horn, God help me, it's so hokey. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a bone, I ha- that's a bone that we had to pick on the podcast as well. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think this thing is going to do anything in battle. I, I think it's going to be a blunt object that promptly breaks. And here I am. I'm not eating my words. I'm saying, really, guys? Really? Like, yeah, they're making it. They're they're making sure she pulls it off. Like, <laughs> <sighs> and, and, and Charity's saying, of course, no triceratops were harmed in the in the making of the horn. That's because it really isn't a triceratops horn. And you, oh god, <laughs> I can't with this show. But I will say, there's maybe I'll get. I, I'm trying to run defense, and the only thing I could think of is that. It's like one of those things you don't think can do the job. Like, okay, like um, Indiana Jones in the in Last Crusade, right? It's it's the it's Jesus's tin cup. You know what I mean? The simple, tarnished, and yet it has and it has magical powers. <laughs> the idea go. of a totem. Oh God, help me! <laughs> God help me! I have to run defense for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go, just like the zombie hand, which looked cool. That kill did look cool. Okay, right. I'll let it go. I'm not gonna be like one of those guys that says, "Okay, that's not real. That wouldn't happen." <laughs> okay, fuck this shit. I mean, no. no, rage quit. Like, really? <laughs> no, Are you gonna rage like, quit? This is this is what we're doing now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, if you if you're such rage quitty, like why don't you stop watching the show? Stop ruining it for me, because now right. I'm gonna have to talk about it. <laughs> There's a million other shows to watch. Sons of bitches. <laughs> but at the same time, we have to like we have to absorb all the darkness that is the tiger. <laughs> and, and then we bring you the lamb. Eat the lamb. Eat it. The internet, that's the tiger. <laughs> yeah, man. Holy shit, if you really do think about it. What what beast craft this tiger? You know, what creator? What filled with malice? <laughs> anyway. This is the beer bottle balloon, yes. The hot air balloon from Fear the Walking Dead season five. That was more entertaining. Okay. <laughs> that I got behind from sheer absurdity. I am a fan of absurdity. Sorry. I like the beer bottle too. Yeah. I like it. Oh, they can go over the top. I'm glad, I'm glad you're my friend. Because <laughs> I have some friends. <laughs> I feel like I don't have many with that thing. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. I felt like a man alone in a drift. With that opinion no oh wow i mean it was it was definitely hokey but i mean what are you gonna do and, I then, loved it. and then charity's <laughs> comment what, what represents jimbo better than a beer bottle full of hot air exactly not wrong r.i.p jimbo jim brower <laughs> i'm gonna try and show you a picture i hope i can line this up right so i loved how um felix was looking exactly like roy from arrow you probably don't remember who that is oh yeah roy harper yeah so I, I know him, I know the actor. The actor was in a show that I really really liked. The show was called The Estates or something like that. I can't remember. It featured vamp- vampires and werewolves. It got a little hokey, but whatever. I followed him from there. He made it onto also Teen Wolf, and then made it onto Arrow. Yeah. Oh, oh right, because of his because of his leather outfit, right? Yeah. And it was oh. and it was all red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, really like that. Yeah, so yeah. badass. And you know yeah. what? Just like him. The only difference was Felix had the face mask, you know, for the smoke and everything. Yeah. But yeah, the red hood, the leather, it, he looked so fucking bad. The built-in oh face God. mask? Yes. 
It was so awesome. Oh, it was pretty cool. And the shot of him, the shot of him when they're when they're running through and and he comes up to the walker and he hits in the head and then he spins her and he goes, Oh, it was so awesome. All in slow motion. Yes. And then and then Huck jumps over the dead body. I'm like, (laughs) It's like a football match. A football match? What? No, it's a football game. What what is this? this Soccer? No. Anyway, sorry. But yes, yes, it is badass. He got the Michonne treatment. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. You know what I noticed? Um, when Hope finally makes it into into the, to the building where the siren is, she opens the door and closes it behind her. Now, that, as far as I could remember, was the first time we ever saw someone enter a building and didn't have walkers immediately behind them. Wow. Well, that's an interesting observation. Well, I mean, there's at least, you know, maybe a couple that, that they have to outrun and then shut the door real quick behind them. Right, generally? I mean, right. I can't remember a time where somebody walks into a building where there's clearly that many walkers outside where they don't get at least a couple that follow them to the door. Right. I, I see what you're saying. Hope didn't. There were no walkers that followed her to the door. And I, I thought that spoke to her stealth. She yeah. In, she said, I can move quietly, quieter and quicker alone. Yeah. And she did. I think it also doesn't it doesn't help the walkers much when there's fires constantly distracting them too, <laughs> so it, and the mists true. and the smokes right. and the, all that stuff. So, but we know, you know they'll always choose fresh meat. Yeah, now, yeah. I mean, we always kind of knew that, but I don't think we knew preference, right? Like maybe maybe Fear the Walking Dead did reveal a sort of preference that that maybe the sense of smell, obviously, because I mean, look. We even learned in The Walking Dead that they can't really see as much as they can see light or sense light. Okay. You know what I mean? So there's that. There's the sound. They can hear things. And so mm-hmm. the, like, the preference order is the smell of fresh blood. Above all, sure. Right? And then we've got the hearing. And then, and then we have the sight. Uh, it's funny that when you die, the reverse is true, actually. The first sense that you lose is smell. Hmm. Yeah. The second is hearing. <laughs> the third. And the third is actually sight, which is oddly enough, sight. It starts to go right. weak. Good to know. So if I lose the, lose the first two, I better... You better run break. for the third. <laughs> <laughs> which is... You want to know a little trick, a little secret? Is like a lot of the reason why, like, you'll see, like, older people put a lot of salt in their food, even though they shouldn't, is because of that losing the sense of smell. Because oh. nine-tenths of smell is taste. Yeah. The reason why we put there's a lot of sodium in airplane food because you lose your sense of smell on the airplane due to the pressure, hmm. the pressurized cabin, and the altitude. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot of there's a lot I mean, of you science. Don't totally, you don't totally lose your smell because I've sat next to some stinkers. Well, <laughs> you know, changes in smell, right? As soon as, as soon as that methane is released. <laughs> Crop dusting. Coming through. Coming through. <laughs> Crop dust. Paper here. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, right after Hope gets into the building and, sh- and she starts losing batteries in her flashlight. And she's like, ah, shit, shit. The very Perfect. next thing we see, the very next thing we see is Iris standing at a cabinet. And what's right in front of her? <laughs> candles. Oh, get out. Really? <laughs> I didn't see that. Of, yeah, a shit ton of candles right in front of Iris. I'm like, oh. Hope could use those right now. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was really funny. First of all, I thought the gag was funny. Like, they're, oh, we're bringing this back now? <laughs> like, right. The idea of, oh, come on, with the failing cock. What the hell? <laughs> right. <laughs> now? Really? Now? Really? 
But yeah, bringing bringing back that horror element of like coming into a creepy building all alone, not sure where there are walkers, and then we hear them. You know, but yeah, I didn't notice the candles. It was like they're right, they're right there. We saw we saw your Zippo earlier. (laughs) Yeah, too bad you just threw it down. And let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second. Because this is the thing that made me pause just a little bit. Like, I know it looks cool to throw, and maybe that was part of it. Maybe she's just a teenager, but I know it looks cool to throw a Zippo in a pool of muck just to watch it burn. But, I mean, we're out in the wilderness, man. Like, uh, that's going to come in handy. And it's eventually going to run out of fluid. I mean, you're going to want to, I don't know. I'm going to chalk that up to just a teenager. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Would it have done the same if she would have just knelt down and, and let it go? I mean, I, I've never lit in a pool of oil on fire before. Yeah, but... She, it, she could and, have set it on fire and kept it, right? You know, and to actually <laughs> take that one step further, how many movies had she possibly seen with that kind of scene in it, where the, the, the action hero throws the Zippo in slow motion, which I think it was, by the way, in, into the pool of muck <laughs> and lights right. it on fire? It's exactly how I saw it in that movie! <laughs> Like she's thinking to herself, I'm so <laughs> badass. Exactly. Why is nobody seeing this? Oh man, I wish I was, Iris was here. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> my twin sister. Oh my God. But yeah, I mean, but again, like how many movies could she have possibly seen where that was a thing? You know, like I don't think, you know what I mean? Like six years old, well, probably about, right? Yeah, but what kind of six year olds watch action movies? I assume maybe, maybe they had. Maybe they had a few showings at Campus Colony. Yeah, maybe. But my point being is that, you know, like, <laughs> we're, we're, right. we're, we're running the odds here of, of this being a possibility, yeah. right? And I don't think it's that high. So, <laughs> uh, again, bone to pick. It was really cool. Okay, fine. But, awesome. like, yeah. but then our 40, cool. you know, creeping 40 slash post 40 brains go like, really? Really? You're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know you've got a long way to go. And and then Sharon is screaming pyromaniac. Duh. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yep. This is again what made me pause. Like again, I'm trying to do the calculus on this. Like how much how much percentage in this pie graph is teenager? How much is this pyromaniac? And how much <laughs> of this is like, oh, suspension of disbelief. This is just we're just we're just suiting the character. She we're giving you a little front loaded knowledge for later on when we find out she's a complete psychopath. <laughs> well, well, there you have it. <laughs> you know what? You know what we're what we're not doing right now. We're trying our best not to go to the end. Yeah, you realize we, that, we, right? I know. I know. I keep looking over over my notes. I'm like, I'm going to bring up everything before I get to this teeny little section over here, which is going to take <laughs> us a, a nice chunk of time to get through. But maybe we should just do it. <laughs> I did notice one thing that I didn't notice before with um, Hope uh, Iris's S pole. You know, the practice S pole with the Triceratops horn. Yeah. At the other end is a loop. That loop oh. reminds me of Herschel's little uh, walker tether. You know, the, the stick with the little loop at the end that you pull? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we may see something like that, maybe using walkers as bait or like as a weapon. Was it that big of a loop or was it just like for her her wrist maybe? No, no, no. So there's the one end of the pole with the triceratops horn. And then there's the yeah. other, the, the other, the whole other end that has a big enough loop for a head to fit through. Definitely. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm wondering. No, I didn't notice that. I mean, it could be just for carrying, but it could also be, because it retracts, right? I think this one retracts, yes. But it could also be like, 
you know, used for tethering. Yeah. Maybe. That would be very useful. So just, just drop or, it a know, pin. Distancing. <laughs> yeah. Social distancing. Social distancing. Stay away. Six feet away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is for people, too. <laughs> God, man. What are we turning into in this society? Um, no, but I like, I just want to acknowledge the fact that, that Sharon, you brought the retread. Uh, so the retread company that they, the office that they're in has that three, the three arrows logo. And then that, I, I know we said this already, but I kind of want to reemphasize the fact that Elizabeth Kublik is over, is looking at a map with the three arrows logo on it. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if it's the same thing. I know we said it already, but I want to bring it back again because, okay, let's go into it. We're, <laughs> we, we, this whole episode deals with the kids in the bog. Just want to remind everybody that we were in the bog. We're not anymore. They're nice and clean. Uh, they, Felix decides to help Iris and Hope reach their dad. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, and until he can convince them otherwise, not going to happen. Um, no. nothing to come back home to, uh, and then, yeah. right. It's like that, that thing is looming yeah. over us now too. Right. Yeah. Which brings us nicely into saying that they're not going to come back home again. Elizabeth Kublik, we're in the CR, we're in the civic Republic. It's like one thing mm -hmm. when we were wondering what the society would be like, and now we're getting a nice heaping teaspoonful. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Because once you start peeling back the veil, you wonder what, how much of there is, how much to this place there is. And they gave us just enough that you may not have noticed. All right. So we start the scene with Sergeant Major Barca, the guy oh, played by, name. right? Played by Al Calderon, uh, knocking on Lieutenant Colonel Kublik's apartment at the Civic Republic. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think she has been expecting this to happen because. I, I just feel like they both are in this place where they are f trying to figure out who they are after this act. Cause this is not something that they're used to. Right. Like, clear, clearly then they're, they're not, they're not used to genocide. Right. There are 9,671 people in this colony. And then we find out that the CR has 200,000. Okay. And they have 200,000 souls. Yes. So, so, so Let's use that line over there, and let's use that line over here, and then, you know, we're good. Okay. 200,000 souls. <laughs> yep. Okay. Keep that in your mind. Now, racing to the end, the reason that they are told of why they need to decimate Campus Colony, among maybe other things like Omaha and maybe Portland as well, mm -hmm. is because, or at least Campus Colony, is that they are starting to become a threat. And, you know, them becoming anything, it seems like them becoming anything more than they are is a threat. Now, what does that tell you? So I'm asking now, because I'm, I have a picture in my head of what that means, but what do you think it means? Well, they already have 200,000 people in this community, wherever they're at. If they are going around killing people because they think just being there is a threat or that they could potentially become a threat, then obviously they're not trying to invite people into this community anymore. They're not trying to save anybody else. They're like, we're capped out. This is how many people we can have in here. That's it. We have a growth and model. Yeah, exactly. And things are going good. And once everybody out there realizes that that's not working, they're going to want to get in. here. They, they are going to become a future threat. So we need to take them out now before they even think about coming to try and take what we have. So let's go back to that now. Do you think I, I happen to think a little differently, but I'm, I'm liking where your train of thought is going because I like it. I like it. <laughs> that, that it also applies. Because going on your logic, I wonder also if they didn't just take the doctor with no hope of him mm. coming back. 
knowing, knowing that they would definitely, because of their mere existence and knowledge of CR, that we take the, we take what we can get from this colony, steal them for our own, decimate campus colony because now they know of us. This is something I mentioned like a while ago saying, oh, if you yeah. see us, you're already dead because we'll make sure you're yeah. dead. <laughs> you have said that a few times. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't want to be right. <laughs> like maybe there's a few exceptions. I don't know. No, no exceptions. Worse than Negan. <laughs> anyway. So I like this, this thought of them taking the doctor period, not hearing back from him period. Again, he's in New York. So they, they would have forced him to say goodbye to his daughters under duress because they, they knew he was leaving. I, well, I don't know. We haven't really seen that interaction either. Right. Maybe he wrote, maybe he wrote him a letter. Yeah, Maybe he did I, just disappear and they sent back a letter or something well, stupid it, like that. I don't know about disappear, but like clearly Hope did argue with him before he left. Right. As it was revealed in this episode. Right. And she wished she didn't argue with him before he left. Last thing, last regrets. Here's what I thought. When I heard them, her say that, you know, they were a threat. The, the mere fact that any other, I want to say organization, because they're not technically there's a weird thing going on here where Campus Colony, like I said before, was able to achieve what it was able to achieve because it created a mythology, used terminology to reinforce that mythology, the night the sky fell, Monument Day, all this, all these sort of things to create a culture of community. Don't think about yourself for now. Think, you know, everything you do is building the future. Now, it's weird because I like this ethos. It is, I like this ethos because it's a good idea to bind and blind people to the idea of building the future, cohesion, unity, etc. We're all moving together in the same direction. I have my problems with that, obviously, because where does individually, where does individual liberty fall within this scope? However, we see the nth degree of that mythology in the CR. And I'm going to show you why it's the idea of there's a utopia and then there's communism. We're bringing it back. We're bringing it back, people. What's the one thing that I said about communism that says it will never work? It's because it, sto it stops looking like communism when the only thing that keeps it together is authoritarianism, right? Communism, pe when people divined communism, when you know Marx existed and people took Marx's ideas and tried to implement them, the idea was that the people would run the country. The people would run the country. It would be a coalition. We would appoint... Um, a stewardship, let's say, and to make sure that everybody's following the rules, etc. But the idea is that people, you know, they thought people <clears throat> of their own nature would want to keep a cohesive society because we want to achieve a sort of utopia, right? When they realized that that wasn't going to happen because people have innate desires to create innovation, to become, to to achieve greatness of some kind, to the, the idea of the incentive mechanism is lost because of communism, because why bother trying to achieve something when we're all supposed to be the same? Well, in comes authoritarianism. You cannot have communism without a sort of authoritative body. Enter the civic republic military, right? <laughs> There's a civic republic and the civic republic military, and this is the only way you can get, you know, the, it's the specter of the authority that keeps them in line. Not like in Campus Colony. They built a a almost like religion to follow that that bound them together, and that was the threat because they have something more powerful. It's kind of, okay. Let's bring it back to Fear the Walking Dead, everybody. Okay, <laughs> it, it's like Virginia's thing: authority, police state, that that kind of thing. Everybody must do their part. 
<laughs> you know, that sort of thing, communism. Right. And then, so what happens? You have a ranger, Isaac, looks at Morgan's tapes and go, oh my God, the idea of cohesion can exist without a police state. And the, the threat, the idea of that, if that were to infect the civic republic, people would, people would stop being cohesive. Society would fall apart. This is the underlying problem with communism, is the idea of individual liberty. Campus Colony had it in spades. You know, they had a sense of individuality. They didn't all have to contribute in the same way. Do you know what I mean? So they had this idea of manufacturing, but they weren't yep. quite nearly on the level as the Civic Republic. Right. Oh, and yep. And this is kind of like the story, as Sharon D says, that Al told about Twisted Round. The idea of the truth. The moment the truth was spoken out loud, even once, it's, it spread like wildfire among Twisted Round's community. And he could not longer, he could no longer maintain his power over his people or the people that he was trying to oppress. So now we're, now we're going to go back into that scene with this knowledge because you get the, these impressions when you start listening to what's going on, because there's a lot going on here all at once. Barca says he can't deal. You know, he has PTSD. Uh, Kublik is basically saying, stand at attention, try to keep it straight laced. She's English. You know, that's what they do. JK. Uh, <laughs> she says, you know exactly what we did. We neutralized the threat man with respect. They did not seem like a threat. And what does she do right after that? Turns, turns all her shit on. Right. What do you think that meant? So, okay. So for a second, I thought, <laughs> I watched way too much. I watched right, way right, too much right. I know what you're going to say, but do it. <laughs> At first, I thought she was turning all this shit on to, to make loud noises so that if anybody was listening in, <laughs> they couldn't hear what she was about to say. And yep. I thought she was going to sort of open up to him and be like, look. I didn't like this either, but here's what's going on. Yeah, but that's not the thing. She's just like, that's not what it was at, at all. I was spoiled. Isn't that something though? Like it's so much darker, so much darker than what, and I love how we, they knew that we would think this is why she was doing that. They knew that we would think that that's why. And then you find out the reason why. Look at all this. Look yeah. at what we have. Look what we have, what we have right now. Do you want us to lose this because somebody else did it better? Morgan. So, so even right now, today, right now, I would never, ever get up and turn every electronic thing on in my house. I would not waste. I would not waste it like that. That's right. insane. So the fact that she's even doing that, like I was appalled, not being in the apocalypse that she would do that. Right, right. <laughs> but here's the thing: she does it because she knows a she can, b yes. because, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. There's a reason because they are self-sustaining. <laughs> they finally achieved because of. The only way you can really achieve, there is imagery going on here that reinforces what I'm talking about. They finally achieved through force the idea of a, of a completely green society. When you look outside, what, what's the first thing that you see? The finally, we see a glimpse of the CR. Yeah. What, 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 is that, what is it that you see? I saw a lot of trees, a lot of greenery. Right. And you know like what, buildings, you know. Okay. Do you know like what that was? Do you know what that was though? The greenery? No vertical farming this is I something that see. i learned about like you know because i i'm not i'm i'm kind of like I, i've been up on what the ideas of of what it means to be a green renewable society vertical hmm. vertical farming is the idea of turning old buildings mainly parking lots oh. into vertical farms you know you have different plants on each level okay you know and this is what i saw i literally saw this vertical hanging, hanging plants off the side because that's how they grow, that sort of thing. Just 
And so when I look back on her turning on all these appliances, I'm like, they've done it. They did it. They did it. And, and if anybody, and if you introduce any sort of individual liberty into this kind of society in her apartment, she has little propaganda posters back from world war one and most, yeah, world war one, world war one. One of them was from the U S one of them was from the great Britain and the other one was from Scotland. Okay. Let's go through them. The first one that, that we all see is the, is from the U S food administration from 1917 commissioned by Penn state university repository. Now, this is what makes me think, this is what initially made me think that they were in Pennsylvania. Why does that make sense? Because do you remember um, when we were reviewing the trailers, when we were talking about New York, where they left Rick Harbors something in New Jersey and then, and then oh, so, something in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm getting strong ideas of, the, of Pennsylvania here. Well, Pennsylvania's, you know, along the path to New York too. It's kind of in line on, on that side of the country on the water, etc. Now that also also brings them to New York, why it makes sense that they would go to New York, you know, be in New York is because, well, now we're in kind of like a three ring circus here because Bridges Harbor, New Jersey, you have you have Pennsylvania right nearby, and then you have upstate New York, all along the same main waterway, they don't have to take helicopters. Okay, so there, hmm. let's put that one to bed, and move on. So when the US entered World War One, um, the sign basically says they wanted they wanted people everywhere to conserve food. But the idea of food, buy it with thought, cook it with care, use less wheat and meat, because it was much more, you know, it's hard to renew those things. Buy local foods, you know, meaning don't go out of your way, just shop locally. So you keep the supply chain evenly dispersed, serve just enough and use what's left. And at the bottom, it says, don't waste it in big letters. The poster was a major tool for, for broad dissemination of of information during the war. Countries on both sides of the conflict distributed poster widely to garner support, urge action, and boost morale. Food shortages were widespread in Europe during the war. Even before the United States entered the war, American relief organizations were shipping food overseas. On the home front, it was hoped that the Americans would adjust their eating habits in such a way as to conserve food that could then be sent abroad. So not only were they supposed to conserve food, but whatever was left needed to be sent overseas. Americans were told to go meatless and wheatless to eat more corn and fish, things that are in abundance in the States. Because we got coastlines, we got corn is a rapidly growing plant, easily renewable. Americans were also encouraged to plant victory gardens, victory gardens, vertical farming, uh, So and to can their fruits and vegetables. This is when we first thought of the idea of canning our fruits and vegetables, like it, like as a thing, not just as a kind of... You know, let's just put it in the back in case there's a storm or whatever. No, they, they made it into a thing now that everybody should be doing. So, like, the war the war changed everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, so now this is going to become present because the main thing I want to point out is that they're all about the authoritarianism, the idea that we don't waste anything. You know, everything we do now, we must do by force and we must do it so that our society doesn't fall apart. It needs so much to not fall apart. Now, the thing they say on the radio, if you hear the radio announcement, it starts out by saying, yeah, I just want to talk about the consignment. Do you know what a consignment is? I'm familiar with consignment shops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But it's exactly what it is. Something that is on okay. consignment is the idea that you get a specific portion of something. So, okay. yeah. which, which my alarm bell started ringing. Communism, mm. here's your portion. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And, and, but the, here's the thing. They have a radio show. There is a public discussion, right? That, mm -hmm. and the other, the other, the radio host says, yeah, that's a sensitive one. Okay. 
And then it flashes to Kern Pharmacy, aspirin, 1,000 milligrams. So like handwritten aspirin, whatever. So there's some sort of locally produced pharmacy, whatever. Okay, let's move on. And the radio announcer says, okay, let's do this. Listen, I believe in the program. Uh, better minds than me came up with it, and I've seen it succeed, which tells me there's an illusion of free speech. Mm-hmm. The idea that we'll, we'll have this radio show and give people a voice for which to speak their mind, but it's not really something that they would go against. And if they were ever found out, I think <laughs> they would get murked. Sure. Yeah. But, the, but it's the illusion, like, okay, let's pretend that we have free speech in the society. Let's pretend that we can voice our opinions. Mm-hmm. And yet the guy at the end of the day saying, uh, better minds than me thought of this, uh, so it must be great. Um, <laughs> I've even seen it succeed. And then there should be a but at some point, but you don't get to that point. But then it flashes to the bullets on the counter. Okay, she has bullets on her counter. Why are there bullets on her counter? And why do they all have the CRM logo on them, each individual one? Right? Yeah. That, I, that... I was curious about the logos on the bullets. I'm like, really? Are we going to waste time? Do we really go that far out of our way now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Elizabeth kind of affirms that we have society, power, culture, you know, education, all these things that she mentions. So, and reminding him what we fight for, having him look around, look at all this, look at electricity, showing old television programs from the 60s, 70s about science, whatever. Fine. Let's move on. Uh, (laughs) Um, but I love this display of reminding him, like, we've got this in spades. I can waste it. Fuck it. Right? Um, and she says... <laughs> Something we, I wouldn't even do. <laughs> yeah. Now say it. We are the last light of the world. We are the last hope. 200,000 souls to live and create in the future. She goes, didn't seem like a threat. They were going to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Everything in her gut said, these people are going to be a threat merely by existing in a society that does not have to live under a boot in order to create innovation. It would just flourish. It would come from the people. It would become because people are trying to achieve greatness because that's what they want to do. And she goes, ah, let's have some soup. <laughs> and then, because <laughs> I, I want to go back to Sharon D's comment, but I'm like, look at all they have and they still don't have any spoons. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was, And then on my second watch, I was looking for any sort of silverware at all. Right. I didn't see any silverware. Maybe, maybe, again, let's go back to the green idea. Maybe it, ca- it takes too much water to clean silverware, by the way. Maybe. It, it does, you know? So, get, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get any. I mean, there's still the idea of cons- conservation. I'm sure of it. But as, as a matter of culture rather than matter of need, you know? When you've gone this okay, far yeah, to create yeah. a green society, you don't go out of your way to do this. But anyway, whatever. There is a yeah. fuck it, there's a fuck it aspect to her too, because clearly you see by the end of this that she is suffering as well. You know, she is having a hard time swallowing the idea of what she's done. Whether it's because maybe she believes the same as Barca, I don't know. And it could be also like that she would like to at some point live in a society where things come from within, you know, instead of from without. I want to go over just the two other signs that we saw, and there's not as much information as the first one, so don't worry. When, when they hauled him away into the CRM health and welfare complex, gulag much? <laughs> Socialist society, labor, labor oriented. So, and the last thing she says to him, once you're well, you can, you, you'll be assigned to a labor oriented caste. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Labor. She said labor oriented capacity. I heard caste for some reason, because that's all I was hearing. I heard what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so the other two signs are to dress extravagantly in wartime is worse than bad form. It is unpatriotic. Obviously, Great Britain, because it's bad form, old chap. 1916, Westminster, Great Britain, because Great, Bar Great Britain experienced a full employment during the war. They were prosperous. Everyone's wages were rising. Great Britain was so prosperous because of the war effort, in an effort to both save these earnings and redirect folks to spend on wartime schemes, they brought up propaganda to get people to just use their extra money for the war effort, rather than dressing extravagantly, being like they used to be, this kind of aristocracy. Last one is, self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy. And this is from a 1917 Scottish wartime effort poster. Again, kind of dovetails to the Britain one, but you get the idea. Self-indulgence. But you know what the fucked up part is when I, when I look this up? This is more of a commentary on our society as it is right now. And then it, it does kind of dovetail into what we're seeing here. But the idea is, when I looked up the idea of self-indulgence at this time as helping the enemy, what came up? All these books on communism for the, oh, modern, for the modern era. And I'm just thinking oh. to myself, there is just no way. I mean, but in relation to what? In relation to being a green society. They were dovetailing all of these things to how to enforce the green society, and which was the last piece in my puzzle. Like, because then I saw the vertical farming, and then I saw the the renewable energy that obviously they've they've had to be able to achieve. And I thought to myself, "Oh fuck that shit! <laughs> fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! And fuck you! You're cool. Fuck you! You know, that's all I was thinking. I was like, no." No, no, I'm I'm all for a Green New Deal, but I'll take Campus Colony over this shit. You know, I'm not having no jackboot socialist communist telling me to create a green society because we must and we must abolish the Constitution and not to get political. Not to get political. <laughs> it had to come back around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last thing is like one of the things she turns on is a song and it was only one result when I looked it up. Okay. Weird. It's, it's called everything that happened. <laughs> no, it's just weird. Right. And it's not even like related to the show. Right. So, okay. you know, so, okay. It, it, the song's called magic fingers by Peggy Scott and the, and Jojo Benson. Okay. Let me tell you the lyrics. I got a letter from Papa today. He wasn't no better. That was all the letter had to say. And my boss man refused to give me a raising pay. Don't feel like I'm going to make it for the troubling for the trouble coming my way. They decided at our civic meeting today. That, that I should be the one to pay that poor old soul instead that they agreed, oh, for the country to come what to come and take her away. They say tonight we'll remember her face. Oh, okay. And then this is where it gets all Jesus-y, right? <laughs> when those magic fingers touch my hand, the world turned brighter one Sunday. And then I'll know I'll have the courage to make it through when those magic fingers touch my hand. Mm. Also a little creepy. Okay, let's admit that. <laughs> with those magic fingers okay friday <laughs> friday night so our best friends go separate ways we tried to help but somehow nothing we could say would change the feeling in their hearts they had to make another stay felt so helpless mm. we stood and watched them drive away and then those magic fingers touched my hand <laughs> and then the world turned brighter one sunday and then i'll know i'll have the courage to make it through again when those magic fingers touch my hand when those magic fingers touch my hand so it's like, it's literally like about how, like you're getting ground down, you know, your dad's in bad health. Um, the boss man is, is refusing to give me more money, you know, probably what I'm owed, uh, you know, don't feel like I'm going to make it through. 
uh, they had a civic meeting. Um, so basically meaning like her family decided out of all of them that she is to be the one to, to help her dad, you know, because she's the only one having an in- income basically instead of taking care of her because she has no money. The county is basically going to take her to the nut, nut house mm. and they say tonight Aww. we'll remember her face. So there's a lot going on here. So there's, it relates to the entire episode, all these people as a whole, like things are getting rough. Okay. And things with her, with Elizabeth Kublik, in spite of what she's done, in spite of what she commanded, she has a hard time dealing with the price. She's even having doubts. Yeah. And so I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the, the idea of, of decimating a colony, 10,000 people almost, myself, you know, and what it, what it must be to live in a society that's so high on its own farts <laughs> that it thinks that any society that can do it better must be destroyed. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time with that. It's so heavy. How do you beat, how do you beat a group like that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, that isn't even the thing that enters into my mind. I, I have to wonder, of 200,000 people, maybe this is like a North Korea situation too, because it's like, there have to be some people, there have to be many people that are wondering what it's like beyond this boundary, right? And, the, and they have to kind of just keep them and jam them in line in order to kind of keep society in order. And I just can't wrap my head around it. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And that is, and now I'm taking a step back, literally, <laughs> what, it mu- like, what it must be like to actually bring in something so heavy that we've never seen before on a show like this. It's, you would, one could say, it's a world beyond our capacity, right? It's, yeah, it's definitely beyond. I mean, that's, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, because yeah. more, the more I think about it, the heavier it is. And I'm not sure I have any more to really say about that. But now that we've broken that down, <laughs> I, 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 any, any last thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still not convinced that Elizabeth doesn't have a, someone she's reporting to. You know what I mean? Some, she's still getting commands from somebody, I believe. Mm, maybe. Well, yeah, no, definitely. She's only a lieutenant colonel. Right. You know? So, so she, she is ordering this, but obviously someone told her to carry it out. You know yeah. what I mean? Or, or, or I would assume so. Maybe not. Maybe she discovered this, the campus colony and she decided they were going to be a threat. And she said, we're going to take them out. But I don't know. Might not be all on her. It's Rick. <laughs> and then Sharon comes in with the clinch saying it's, oh, it's Rick. Uh, it's Rick lol. Rick, well, yeah. Rick's in charge. Of, Rick's in charge of the Civic Republic, and he's looking at all these little communities like they could be another Negan popping up. And he's like, "Nope, shut that shit down." Yeah, exactly. Whoa. <laughs> well, l- speaking about Rick, I'm glad you said you made that joke, Charity, because yes, something something came across my desk. Like I'm a, like I'm a news reporter. <laughs> so, let's go back. Let's go back to Michonne's exit episode. What does she see? on the iPhone etched in a picture of her and Judith, right? Mm-hmm. And in Japanese, believe a little longer, right? When you look at Iris's sketches, do you not see her style on the iPhone? No. You don't. Because I was thinking no. of when you look at the zombies uh, that she does, it, she, the little scribblings of the zombies in her dreams, does it not? Very, well, the dream, the, okay, the, the walkers in her dream. With yes, the scribble that's- effect. Yeah, that seems more sketchy like that. But her actual sketches, like when we see a sample of her drawing, I would say no. 
That's true. That's true. I'm just referring to the zombie sketches in her dreams. Okay. In her, yeah. In her mind. Yes. Okay. <laughs> On paper. No. <laughs> now, now I like. I got this from Reddit. I think, and I can't remember who brought this up, but I really wish I could credit them. And if I do, I'll, I'll go back and do that. But the idea that maybe, which, which does tell us that maybe it is a little behind, notably behind. This is somebody, something somebody said, the world, world beyond is notably behind um, The Walking Dead in its current timeline, but not that far behind. Interesting. Maybe they do find Rick or... Some something that's left of him, or something of that akin to that. I don't find know. A Rick clue. Yeah, and this is the, this is all I'm saying is that it does kind of look like, look like her style in her dream. So there's something to it. <laughs> the statue. You're, you're bringing back my words against me. <laughs> the statue of Rick in in the CRM town square, in the in the red square that is <laughs> fucking CR. Is that a real thing or a, no? I a, said I said it in the um the, the teasers uh, the teasers okay. episode. I was, oh, just, I was just making sure it was still a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said this the last time too. I'm like, is this for real? No, no, no. I was just making shit up. Sorry. <laughs> like, they're gonna see a statue of Rick. No, 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 no. They're not that far in the oh, future. Bullshit <laughs> our pants if we do. Oh God, Sharon D with Sharon D with the civic rictator military. <laughs> God. <laughs> But I'm leaving that out in the ether. I'm not taking credit for it. I'm just bringing it to your attention. I'm not mm -hmm. taking credit for it. I'm just saying it out loud. Okay, I want to put that out there. I don't want nobody but, to think yeah. I took credit for it. We don't have time to get started on timeline crap right now. <laughs> I will go all night on timelines. But it sounds like you have beef with it for next episode. Yeah. Next episode. <laughs> and, timelines. And to that I say... Thank you for joining us for the shortest episode in Squawking Dead history. I've been your host, David Cameo. I'm joined by Cosmo Monzier and I, Rachel Burt, and Charity with the jokes in the chat. And she says, thank you for having me as always. If you like, yes. And if you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash Squawking Dead. Give us five stars and an eggplant. That is a tongue in cheek thing that is between you and me <laughs> and you and me and us and we and me and she. <laughs> somewhere there in the ethernet <laughs> that is the thing yeah and uh and if you want to write a little more that would be great i would love it thank you we would all love it we appreciate it thank you so much and if you really like us and you want to you want to help support this podcast head over to ko-fi.com slash squawking dead for less than a cup of coffee one time you get 30 days of access you can be a part of these chats just like charity you can also get the unedited recordings of all this shit when we're done. And, you know, for you to keep and download, do whatever you want with it. I mean, well, don't do not do some crazy <laughs> freaky deaky shit because I do sometimes sing and sometimes I will lift my shirt up and show you my chest. But still, at the same time, do whatever you want with it. It's yours. Now, if you subscribe to a coffee a month, the party just keeps on rolling and the support comes in. It really helps. You know, every little bit helps. Thank you so much. And with that, everybody, we just wrapped up this episode in an hour and a half plus whatever that 20 minutes is salvageable. <laughs> Less than two hours. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you next week. We'll have another two episodes. Take care, everybody. Love you much. Hope you enjoyed this analysis. We went through it pretty damn quickly. But I think that a lot is just said in the episode. L just look at everything. Experience it. Let yourself cry. You can. You're allowed. <laughs> Nobody's going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. Love you. Have a good one. See you soon. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
Thank you, Charity. 